Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. If you are a note taker, which I see some of you oftentimes trying to pin notes, trying to make outlines out of what I'm saying, I bet you enjoy that, don't you? I bet you really enjoy that. Like, I don't know where he's going. A, B, three, I don't know what we're doing. This is bad. Um, if you are a note taker, um, then let me just, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way right away, okay? Just get it out of, the, out of the way right now. Five things that prayer will do or become or that is if we use it effectively. Five things, let's go, let's go, sorry, four things, four things that, that prayer will be if we use it effectively. I'm going to read you this verse, and then we will break these down. You'll get your five application points. That way you can rain man yourself through the rest of this sermon, okay? Um, Luke chapter 11. We are in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Let me read you this very first verse. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John's disciples, as John has taught his disciples. So one more time. One day when the Lord was praying, he finished, and then an anonymous disciple says, Lord, teach us to pray. Straight out of here, here's what happens to me when I read that very first verse. These four things just kind of, kind of show up in my life. So here's the four things. You can get these on paper. That'll make you feel good about yourself today. Okay, number one, prayer is contagious. If we use it correctly, prayer is contagious. If you spend time praying and you, uh, you, you eventually will get caught praying, people will see you praying, your kids will catch you in the mornings praying, and when they do, prayer becomes contagious. If you pray before your meals, it's contagious. It's a thing. How many of you have ever sat down at a table, you forgot to pray, and one of your little ones are like, are we going to pray? You're like, of course we're going to pray. It was just destined it you know yes number one prayer is contagious people will care about things that are important to you if it's important to you then it will be important to them second thing prayer is inspiring there is absolutely no doubt that this that this disciple has looked at Jesus and some of the John John's disciples and has said you know their life is different Jesus retreats to pray a lot into the mountains. Because he does that, maybe that has something to do with the way he handles life. He is patient with the people who come, who come around him. He is resilient in kind of fighting off these attacks from the people who want to plot his death. It's obviously inspiring on some level. Um, some commentators call the, the, the gospel of Luke the gospel of prayer. Because... Prayer is such a common theme in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if you're going to read the book of Luke in its entirety, it will start off and you will get to verse 10 and Luke will mention prayer. And then when you read the last verse of the book of Luke, it will mention prayer. Luke was always trying to underline prayer as the main point. Prayer is important. In fact, of the 86 times that prayer is used in the New Testament, Luke is responsible for using 41 of those. 
Luke underlines prayer as a very, very important, important thing. So this disciple, after spending a couple years with Jesus, notices Jesus kind of handles life a little bit different than I handle life. Isn't it funny when you get into a predicament, a health situation, a job thing, you tend to call people who you know pray. Hey, don't forget to pray for me. There's some people you obviously don't call because you think to yourself, they don't pray, right? But then there are other people you call because you're quite sure they will pray. Third thing is this. Oh, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this, too, when it, when it comes to inspiring. I had a professor when I was in college. His name was Wilbur Fields. Um, as it was relayed to me, Wilbur Fields would come to the college at 3.30 in the morning. He would get the student directory out, and he would pray for every student, somewhere between four and 600 students, pray for every student before his 7 o'clock Old, Old Testament history class. Stories of prayer should inspire us. You hear something like that and you think, so do you have a good prayer life? It's all right. Is it like Wilbur Fields? I'm bad at it. <laughs> you know, like I'm bad at it. I'm not, I don't do that good. Like if I had a book with all of your faces in it, I wouldn't pray for you, every one of you before 7 a.m. I, 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 would, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. It would be hard. It would be so hard. But these, story, these stories should inspire us to pray. Third thing is this, it's effective. It's effective. These guys have watched how Jesus has handled life, how, he, how he's handled all these things. And prayer is something that is it's just effective. It's effective. Number four, it is personal. And I mean that opposed to private. Personal, I mean intimate, not private. You know, when somebody says, well, that's personal. What they mean is private, right? So where were you? That's personal. No, it's private. Personal is intimate. Prayer is personal. Prayer is not private. Oh, should you have a private prayer life? Well, absolutely you should. But we'll come back. We'll come back to this. We'll come back to this in a minute. So number four, last one on our little list of application for you to write down. Prayer is personal. This is a moment for us to be able to connect with God. Throughout Jewish history, the recitation of prayer, the recitation of scripture, um, formal prayer, liturgy, these kind of things, that was pretty common. That was pretty common. We'll talk some more about that in a minute. But it was pretty common. But see, but prayer also is something that is personal. It is something that you can step away from the formal and say, Lord, this is where I'm at. I'm not going to tell you the weird prayer I prayed the other day. I'm not going to tell you because I'll either get fired or you won't come back. I won't tell you this prayer. But I prayed this prayer the other day that was just not, but it was an honest prayer. It was an honest prayer. And I needed to just say, hey, this is where I'm at, Lord, and you're going to need to intervene because my stuff is whack right now. It's whack. Like, I'm off the rails, and this is weird. I need, I need you to step in. It's personal. It's intimate. You don't have to pull out an old book and recite an old prayer. Is there something wrong with that? No. But it is personal. Now, what is Jesus' response to this disciple who says, Hey, teach us to pray. Jesus' response is this, Luke 11, verse 2 through 4. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we, uh, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
and lead us not into temptation. Now, some of this sounds familiar, does it not? Yes, it kind of does, except you screwed it up, right? That's what you're thinking. Like, it sounds right, but you messed it up. Okay, this is Luke's version of Matthew's The Lord's Prayer that you probably learned in all these places. By the way, uh, do you remember where you learned the Lord's Prayer? School? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like, can we say it together? Do we know it? I think I got some notes. Is there some notes up here? We got notes rock? Just in case. This then is how you should pray. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right. So there's obviously some different variances that you can... Right, 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 right. Except that's not in there. So... So you with me? You want to know where I learned it? I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in a Bible preaching church. Um, you know where I learned uh, the Lord's Prayer? In the field house at Kansas Westland University um, before we went out and decimated, crushed, killed, and other violent metaphors to our opponent um, just prior to stepping out there and decapitating and doing whatever it is the coach was screaming at us to do. He was like, all right, are you ready? Yeah, all right, let's catch your knee. Our Father who art in heaven, which is the weirdest thing. Of course, I'm a Christian kid, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, I'm so thrown off from, we went from, you know, kill, kill, kill to catch your knee. You know, be respectful. Let's, let's just, you know. Okay, so this is where I learned the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, it's interesting that in the last 50 or 60 years of the Protestant church movement, what we have done is we have migrated away from liturgy. Do you know what I mean when I say liturgy? Liturgy is the idea of when you come in, wow, homegirl is hot. Goodness gracious, that's pretty good. You don't sleep much, do you, pal? I see, get it. Get it. Crash on the couch if you want, just come over. Right. Crash on the couch. Um, so in the last 50 or 60 years, there's been a shift in the way church has kind of worked. Where we used to be about liturgy. We used to be about this formal prayers. And we would have these things that we would say, and these creeds that we would, we would go back and forth on, the reader response stuff. But what we've done in the Protestant movement is we've kind of moved to this almost, and I'm not going to say it's bad because I don't think it's all bad, but we've moved kind of to this direction of like, you know, but that's not really how I feel in my heart. Fair? Um, is that bad? No, it's not bad. It's, this isn't bad and that's not bad. But part of the problem is this. When we get away from quoting scripture and praying scripture, not only do we neglect a whole lot of really rich, rich, you know, um, writings and teachings but we also neglect what jesus said here in luke 11 when you pray say i would like to jesus but instead i would like to say god is great god is good right we also neglect the fact that jesus said when you pray say this now do i mean if you pray any other way then god's like oh, 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 oh i'm not hearing it 
No, obviously not. But I think there's a spiritual formula that's going on inside of this that makes a whole lot of sense, a whole lot of sense. So let me show it to you. I want to walk you through these things, and then I, what I want to do is I want to step back and I want to show you a big picture of what this looks like, its shape, its story, because there's kind of a, there's kind of a story, there's kind of a parable in the way this thing unfolds, and I want, to, I want to point that out to you. First thing that happens is this. He says, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, the root word for it is holy. The idea is set apart or viewed differently. And that's obvious. You don't look at God and your conversation with God like you look at your conversation with somebody else. What up, money? Huh? <laughs> don't be weird, you know? What's up, pal? You know, you remember the old shirts, right? Jesus is my homeboy. No, no, it's not a... It's a view differently. But what exactly are we viewing differently? God, well, obviously. But what else? How about the name? The name Father. We're to view this differently. And you know what? In our culture, our day and age, where we are right now as a nation in the, in the world, we lack the sentiment to be able to take familial names and stick them onto God and say, um, yeah, God is kind of like a father. Because oftentimes when you say that, you're talking to a group of people who their experience with fathers has not been so positive. Latest statistic, 20 million kids live in fatherless homes. And now we want to say God is like a father. Oh, so he's absent? So he's gone? So he comes and goes? He's unreliable? Is that what you're saying? Ouch. So we do. We, we, we lack this. Here's where, here's where this starts us off at. It, it's this place. You need to give it a chance. You need to give him a chance. I've often said this, and this is, this is mean, and I know it is, and it's, but it's true. When somebody comes up to me and they say, my grandfather died, I cannot connect. Because that has not been a thing that has been in my life. A grandfather. I do not connect. And though I will try my very best to sympathize with you, I, I, I seriously lack the empathy. I mean, it's like, oh, that sounds like it's bad. That seems like you're bothered by that. That's tough. Some of you have the same situation with your father. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't care. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. Do your best to break through that thing and give God the opportunity to prove himself as a spiritual father for you. Give him a chance. Give him a chance to be that. That's an important, that's an important part. Next thing is this, this cryptic phrase, your kingdom come. Not only view the name of God differently, but now we are moving into the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we ask that his kingdom comes. We ask that it will appear, that it will be here. Well, we've talked a little bit about the kingdom of God, and here's kind of where we've landed. The kingdom of God, based on scripture, is both already and no, not yet. Clear? You with me? It is already and not just yet. It is both now and on its way. Helpful. 
Well, maybe this will clarify it a little bit. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. These guys come to Jesus and they say, so well, you keep talking about the kingdom of God. What exactly are you talking about? Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, listen how crystal clear this is. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. We must also shift our view not only of God and Father and this idea, but we also have to shift our view that somehow in the middle of what, what we say when we say the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Well, this is the key. Is this like the kingdom of God? Well, kind of. I mean, we're all, I think, a part of it. But see, oftentimes the way I interpret it is this. I must, I have to dig in really deep. I have to pray really hard. I should probably fast and just squint my spiritual eyes real hard so I can see the good in the world and then maybe that's the kingdom of God. Does that kind of connect with where you live with this? Because here's Jesus' way of saying it. Stop seeing it as a brick and mortar kingdom. Start seeing it as you are being infiltrated right here by the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. Think about it like this. If you are a resident or a citizen of the United States and you move somewhere else, you have citizenship already. If you go somewhere else, you have citizenship already here. And if you go there, you can always pull this card out and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a citizen of America, United States, America. And if you do, all of a sudden, like, you'll start seeing things, start seeing things happen. I got this buddy of mine, he got in trouble when he was in Australia. And they didn't know where he was from and what was going on, and it was kind of a bad deal. Um, they, were, they were shooting lamps out of a hotel room with the great big huge slingshot across the way. Anyway, got in a lot of trouble. Um, they didn't know where these kids came from. It was like a Junior Olympics, junior Olympics team. So they brought him in, and they were like, uh, where are you from? Psycho, we're from, we're from the United States. Immediately, all these charges that were being pressed against them were dropped, and they put them on a plane and sent them away, as far away as they possibly could. Why? Because are, these are Americans. Just get rid of them. They cause trouble. Just get, you don't want. They're going to get mad and come over here and be weird and get rid of them. They kind of care about their people a little bit. Strangely enough, when they said, where are you heading ne headed next, um, they said, uh, Oakland. We're headed to Oakland. Oh, that's the next stop for the Olympic team? Yeah, we're headed to Oakland. Oh, okay. They got on the flight. It was a real long flight. When they got off, they were in a place that kind of sounded like Oakland, except it wasn't. It was Auckland. <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> and he said, I stepped off, and I was like, I'm waiting on, like, ball caps to the left, like, ball caps pulled to the side, and I'm seeing turban, turbans and sheep, you know? Like, a, well, what is going on? Of course, you can imagine how they felt. They were like, so what did you do with our people? We sent them to the wrong place. It's like, it's a bad deal, you know, bad deal. The kingdom of God is this. Though while you are a resident of somewhere else, we live here. Though while we are a resident of the kingdom of God, this is where we live. But in this life, I still have my freedoms. 
I still have my allegiances. I still have my protection from the king. The kingdom of God is within you. And what they're saying, what, what, the, what Jesus says is this, pray your kingdom come. Meaning, let this kingdom from here overwhelm the, the broken culture and the broken kingdom that we live in right here. So let the kingdom of God exude from you. This is Jesus' teaching. Next thing that he points to is this. Give us each day our daily bread. This phrase takes us back to the Hebrews, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, where they want food, they're crying out to God, we want food, we want food. And God says, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you some, uh, some mystical sweet bread in the mornings that'll be on the ground, go pick it up, you can eat it. Like, what's, which strangely enough, the Hebrew word for manna, the root word is whatness. <laughs> like what the, like this is what it is. Like manna is like, what, what is it? Like, what is it? What do, you, what, what do we even call it? Call it like, what is it? I don't know what it is. Let's just call it, what is it? That's what we're going to call it, you know? This is what manna is. It's kind of strange. So this is where we find this idea of your daily bread. The call was this. You can get up every morning, you can scoop up some manna, and you can eat it, and God's going to take care of you while you're in the desert. But could you scoop up some and keep it for tomorrow? Well, only if it were on the sixth day. Because on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to go scoop it up. So it would keep on the sixth day. But if you scooped up extra and tried to keep it for like, say, Tuesday, it's going bad. It rots, gets maggots. It's in the Bible. It's what it says. Daily bread. Daily bread. The Israelites were not to stockpile their daily bread. Let's stop there. Let's talk about stockpiling for just a minute. Do you know what's wrong with saving money? Nothing. Nothing. Do you know what's wrong with bending your whole world and making the focus of your life and everything you do about saving money? Uh, everything. Everything. Because it will spoil. It will spoil your life. You're not enjoying life if that's how you live. You're not enjoying your life. I'm saving every single thing. Okay, listen, you should save. That's a very smart thing to do. It's, a very, it's being a good steward of your stuff. That's good. But if the goal of your life is to hoard and to stockpile, it's going to embitter you. It's going to become your taskmaster. You know what else it's going to do? It's going to deceitfully bring you to the conclusion that you no longer need to trust God. It's also going to convince you that you're the one that's in control now. And I got bad, bad news for you. If God ever feels like maybe there's something that contends with where he stands in your life, he will pick a fight. He will pick a fight. You don't think so? You don't think he'll pick a fight? If there's something that contends with your worship for him, he will come in your front door like the LAPD. You with me? Come straight through the door, find whatever it is, beat the crap out of it, and they'd be like, you want some? And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Because he does not, does not, does not work. He says in the Old Testament, he, he says, I am a jealous God. That means he's going to fight for his position. He's going to fight for his position. Which I might add, um, in many cases, if financial, uh, I don't know how to say it, financial brokenness, if finances are a problem for you at your house, finances are a problem, not always, this is not always the case, 
But if finances are a problem at your house, the majority of the time, there's also a generosity problem in your heart. Give us this day our daily bread. If there is a problem financially, there's a problem in the generosity department. Majority of the time. Now, I'm not saying you have to like that. In fact, if you don't like it, you're more than welcome to send me an email. I won't read it, but you can send one. Are oh, we can talk about it? It's fine. But that is true. I've seen it over and over in my own life. The moments when I get selfish or I panic, finances, and I like take matters into my own hands, you know what immediately happens? I get stingy, start cutting people out. Who gets a piece of the pie? Nobody. Start cutting things. And whoa, whoa, whoa. Yep. You know what happens when, when, when I get in a place to where I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Like, this is the right thing to do. It's endless. It's endless. Everything is covered. The daily bread is covered. It's always that way. It's always that way. If you want to talk about that more, get a hold of me. I'd, I'd love, to, love to sit and visit with you better. Verse 4 then comes along and shifts our whole perspective on kind of the standard of the way of life. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. Or as Luke writes, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Matthew's version is a little more contractual. God, we will forgive. Or, or God will forgive as we forgive. Um, That's a little more of a contractual kind of a sound to it. Like God's kind of waiting on me. Let's see how good Jared forgives his friends and his people and you forgive your people God's like I'll forgive you Luke's version is kind of like a two-part teaching like you forgive forgive people for our teaching is we also always forgive which one's right well, I think they're both in application and in practice I think both of them are right I think both of them are right Because I don't want God to forgive me the way I forgive people. Do you? Do you want God to forgive you like you forgive people? Will you give them the bird when they're not looking, right? No, not good. Or you don't even do it. But in your mind, you do it, you know? This is the way it goes. I don't want God to forgive me that way. That way, when I'm talking to his face, I'm like, hey, God, I appreciate it so much. And he's like, no problem, Jared. And I turn around, and he's like, you know? I don't want that. It's not what I want. I need to trust in that relationship. Therefore, since I don't want that to happen, I must conform my life. I must take my life and turn it around and say, I'm going to forgive the right way, even if it hurts. I'm going to forgive the right way. Even if it's a process, I'm going to forgive the right way. So, then we get to this place of lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. This whole thing, this whole prayer has a shape. And I told you it has a parable, it has a, it has a picture. So here's where we start, and I need you to envision this. This is where we start. We start in the throne room of God. Father, hallowed be your name. Knee bowed before God in the throne room. It's illuminated everywhere. 
And this is where we are. We start in this place of worship, in this place of humility. And then something happens. We're transported outside the palace to where we're standing outside between these two worlds where we've got the kingdom of God here and then we've got this other corrupt kingdom, this one we live in, and they're both right here. And then we begin to hear this phrase, the kingdom come. May your kingdom come. And so then I move from the, from the, the inside, the chambers, to the outside, and I see the two, and then God takes me a step further, and he takes me into this corrupt kingdom, and he says, now this is how we're going to live. And first and foremost, you know what you need? Daily bread. The daily grind, the daily uh, family living, food, bills, cars, maintenance, grass that needs mowed, Give us, our, give us this day our daily bread. And he moves us into this place right here. Then he takes us to the streets. And he walks us from our homes and kind of this safe place to the streets, to the places of betrayal and to places of, of, of brokenness and places of guilt and places where people lie to you. A place of forgiveness. And a place to where he looks at us and he says, now the kingdom of God must come out of you if we're going to change this place because now we're in the streets. And you need to ask that God will forgive you and you need to forgive other people. This is what it's like in the streets. And then he takes us to the next place that is the coolest place. The view from the human heart. Lead me not into temptation. The view from the human heart. Do you know what's wrong with the world and what I hate about this world? What I absolutely hate about it? Me. Me. I hate it when you act like me. I hate it when other people act like me. I hate it when other people are selfish like me. I'm the problem. And it's the view from the human heart. The human heart says this, lead me not into temptation. Do you know what, church? Check this out. If we spent more time praying that God would not lead us into temptation, we would probably spend less time praying that God would deliver us from our sins. Because I can pray that prayer like a champion. Lord, God, please deliver me from this blah, 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 whatever, right? You know what I don't pray? Don't let me be tempted. Because a part of me is kind of like, it's okay to be tempted. And I'm not. And what he gives me is this view from the human heart saying, ask the Lord to help keep you from temptation, to lead you away from temptation, to put blinders on your eyes so that these things don't show up, so you don't see some of the stuff that goes on, so you don't hear the things that you shouldn't hear. This is what I need the view from the human heart. So from the chambers, from the palace to my own corrupt heart, God has walked with us all the way down through here. The prayer is, I'm with you. The prayer is, I'm with you. Don't doubt me. Don't doubt the Heavenly Father. He is with you. He walked with you from here and he walks with you all the way down through the streets and even into your dark heart where he says, just pray that you won't be tempted. Pray you won't be tempted. One final thing I need to throw out here. You know what I did not hear anybody do or say when we recited the Lord's Prayer? This. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
Give me each day my daily bread. Forgive me my sins, for I also forgive everyone who sins against me. And lead me not into temptation. Did you notice that there is no me and there is no I? There is no mine in the Lord's Prayer. You know what there is? We, us, our. You know what that tells me? That shame on you if you're trying to do it by yourself. Shame on you. You're not going to get very far. You're not going to get very far. You can't operate in this life by yourself and get very far. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. That means this, that my prayer for me should be my prayer for you. As I'm praying for me to not be tempted, I'm praying for you to not be tempted. You see, here's the deal. We are her. We are the bride of Christ. We are her. And yes, there are days where our makeup is pretty rough. There are days to where our clothes are pretty shabby. There are days to where we look like anything but a bride. We are her. And he loves us. But it is us. Communally. We need each other on this level. Let's do it one more time. And then we will break out of here. You got, that, you got that passage one more time, Rock? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we appreciate you and we thank you for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for this anonymous disciple who asked Jesus this question, teach us to pray. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you have taught us, what we've learned. Lord, we ask that we will continue to study your word, open up our hearts to who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.